So we do want to welcome you a, a happy new year here on January 8th, 2012. You know, let me make a statement that, uh, that you may have to think about for a few minutes. What if I told you that this year you could change the world? I mean, in a very real way, that this year, in the next 51 weeks of 2012, that you could do something to impact the world that would have a lasting impact and forever change somebody's life. Would you believe me if I told you that? If I said, I believe everyone in here this year will do something to change the world, would you believe that that could happen? Would you desire for that to even happen in your life? Uh, Do you even care about that? Are you just hoping to get through this year and you hope some change happens in your own life that that maybe somebody else is a catalyst for? You know, I believe our church this year, if we if we work at it together, can change the world. You know, 2012 is an interesting year because this is the year, according to the Mayan calendar and and Hollywood has caught on to it. And certainly the press has caught on to it. This is the year uh, that the world is is supposed to end. And who knows, maybe maybe this year. The world will end, uh, and that will be a major change for all of us, I'm sure. Uh, But if it doesn't end, what if this year is the year that we make up our minds together that we are going to have our best year ever spiritually, and this is the year not that the world ends, but that the world changes because of something that we do. That's going to be the focus of the next five weeks here at Journey Church International as we study the book of 1 Thessalonians together. If you have your Bible, I want you to open your Bible to this New Testament book, 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have your Bibles, our ushers are going to go down the aisle. Uh, and every Sunday here we hand out Bibles. If you don't have one, if you forgot one, if you just want one to read through, if you want one to keep forever, just wave at our ushers. They'll give you one. Uh, it's been our joy over the last 14 weeks since our church has started to give away almost 200 Bibles. And we want you to have one that you can read, that you can follow along with that you can take home it's yours to keep if you just forgot yours today throw it on the usher's table when you leave so we can give it to somebody else next week but we're going to begin a study today in the in the book of first thessalonians we'll start in chapter one today and we're asking this question what is god's plan for us this year and not just this year but what is god's plan for for our life as you sit in your chair you know, and, and maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions already. Maybe you've, uh, you've been to the gym once already and you're done with that. Uh, or maybe you've already started and ended a diet in the year 2012. Or uh, maybe you were going to begin uh, reading your Bible this year and you did that for a few days and then you stopped. Regardless of what you've done so far, I want to ask you the next few weeks at our church to commit to learn with me what God's best plan is for our year for our year this year. On the back of your sermon guide, you'll see a, uh, some sermon notes that you can follow along with today. It's just on the back of this little 2012 thing we, can, we handed you. And we should have handed you a pen so that you could take notes as well. But we want you to follow along as we look at 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read chapter 1 today. It's only 10 verses. So you can go to bed tonight knowing that today you've read a chapter of the Bible because we'll read the entire chapter. And then we're going to come back and look at it uh, a few verses at a time as we ask ourselves, what does God want us to do this year? What does God want us to see this year? First Thessalonians chapter 1 begins this way. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. That means things happened with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. For you know how we lived among you for your sake. 
You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with, the, with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers. That means you were a model Christian to every other Christian in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. We're going to look at this book of First Thessalonians, and, and I've, I've actually been looking at First Thessalonians since November. I've uh, been studying the book, been reading the chapter, been turning it over in my mind and in my heart, uh, and I've actually probably put together two or three different messages on First Thessalonians chapter 1, trying to ask God what he wants me to give to our church this year, what he wants you to hear, what, what he wants us to understand about First Thessalonians chapter 1. And I've come up with three groups of three out of First Thessalonians chapter 1 that, that I call the triple crown uh, because we've got three points today and every one of them is, is three something. So I want you to understand with me today what I call the triple crown of First Thessalonians chapter 1. And you need to understand just a little bit of background on the book so we're going to do that with the first number one. You need to understand one of the most interesting things about First Thessalonians or the Thessalonian church will be the first three, three weeks. Because you're going to find out something very interesting about how this church was founded, what happened. And you just read here in First Thessalonians 1 verses 1 through 10, Paul said the entire world is talking about your church. That's what he said. He said the believers in Macedonia and the believers in Achaia. If, if you were to look closely at those in Scripture, Macedonia means the Philippian church. You've heard of the, the, the book of Philippians that was written to that church. Achaia would be the Corinthian church. So Paul said, I've been in Philippi and I've been in Corinth, and they're all talking about your church. But he said it's not just those two churches. The whole world is talking about your church. When the whole world is talking about a particular church, it, it would be good for us to to study why. What did they do that made everyone in the world talk about them? And one of the first things we find out is that this church is a church of three weeks. And you say, what do you mean by three weeks? I'm going to show you. If you have your Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 17. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But as you read through the New Testament, and one of the goals that we have for the people of our church this year is that you read the Bible. If you look inside your uh, the little bulletin type deal that uh, that we gave you i hate that word it sounds so old uh but right under our next series where next month we're going to focus on love sex and marriage studying the song of solomon that's going to be a fun series i promise you uh you'll see a little thing that says read the bible this year and if you're brand new to church or maybe you're just coming back to church or maybe last year wasn't a year you read a whole lot of the bible i want you to go to this link here on our website for a Bible reading plan. And we've got four there for you. You can read through the entire Bible, going back and forth between Old and New Testament. You can read the entire Bible in a year if you want. You can read just the New Testament. You can read just the Old Testament. But to understand the Bible, you have to read it. And if you understand a little bit of the Bible, you understand that most of what we find in the New Testament, we find in the first five books. And then everything else is just a deeper look. First four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all stories about Jesus. It's a history of Jesus' spiritual time on earth. The fifth book is the book of Acts, and it's the history of the church, how the church came about and where the church spread out every place. In the rest of the New Testament, you're only reading more in-depth narrative on what happened in the book of Acts. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, there are six churches that there were letters written to in the New Testament uh, that you can find. Corinthians, Romans was actually written to a, to a church, but it wasn't written inside the book of Acts. But First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, uh, and First and Second Thessalonians were all written inside the book of Acts. Only two of those churches, two of the six churches, had two letters written to them, and one of them was the Thessalonian church. But what is so interesting about the Thessalonian church was its start. It's beginning, how it happened. And in Acts chapter 17, we're told how the church of Thessalonians started. Like our church started. Last fall, we started having services. We met, people came, God did some great things, and now we have a church. That's kind of what we find in Acts chapter 17 about the Thessalonian church. Here's how it began according to Scripture. Acts chapter 17, I'm just going to read through the, uh, the first six verses. And here's what Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6 says. Now, when they had passed through... Amphipolis and Apollonia, this is, by the way, Paul and a group of travelers with him. They're on a mission trip, and they're just traveling from town to town telling people about Jesus. They passed through a town called Amphipolis. I'm glad I didn't live there because it's very hard to say. They passed through a town named Apollonia, and then they came to Thessalonica. Just uh, uh, They were on their way telling people about Jesus, and they stopped. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, I want you to circle that word synagogue if you're, if you're reading with me in your Bible. If not, just jot it in your notes. I'm going to tell you what that means. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, some bad guys. They gathered a mob, and they set all the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason. And they sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down. This was the comment of people about this brand new church in Thessalonica. These people are turning the world upside down. Now, how did this happen? If you study the book of Acts, you're going to find out that the Apostle Paul did the same thing in every town that he went to. He would first try to find a synagogue. What was a synagogue? A synagogue, if if a town had ten Jewish men in the town which we would think would represent 10 Jewish families, a Jewish community. It would build kind of a local church there so they didn't have to go all the way to the temple to worship in Jerusalem when they could go. It was kind of their, their, little, their little community center. Uh, Johnson County, Kansas actually has a Jewish community center. That's kind of what the synagogue was in that town. And if there were enough Jewish men, their Jewish families, Paul would go in and he would basically, it says he would explain from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Say, so what does that mean? He would read them the book of Hebrews. We believe that the book of Hebrews was a narrative of what Paul gave in every town. An Old Testament basically teaching that Jesus the man was the actual Old Testament Christ. And if they believed, he would plant a church there. And many times they didn't believe and they ran him out of town. A couple times they tried to kill him. Several times they put him in jail. This time some believed, some didn't. But but it just there, there was a firestorm of activity in this church and around this church. And here's what's so interesting. The church in Corinth, we read the book of First and Second Corinthians. We read that Paul went there, and for 18 months, he taught every day for 18 months. And this great church was born. 
in Ephesus, we read the book of the Ephesians, we read in Ephesus that Paul went to Ephesus and every day for two years he taught the scriptures until a church was born. How long did he teach in Thessalonica? How many days did he teach in Thessalonica according to the text? Three weeks. Three weeks. What took Corinth 18 months a great church to grow up? What took Ephesus two years a great church to grow up? Took the people of Thessalonica three weeks. The church of the Thessalonians was built in 21 days. And after three weeks, the testimony of this church was that, they're, man, they are turning the place upside down. Lives are being changed. Marriages are being healed. Probably in this time, demons are being cast out. Crazy things are happening. This new church is blowing up, and it's only three weeks old. It really, verse 6, speaks to reputation of the Thessalonican church. And the reputation is this. Young churches can have huge impact. Young churches can do big, big things for God. Young churches can change lives. Young churches can change communities. Young churches can be known around the globe because of what Jesus is doing in them. You know, young Christians can have huge impact. We read here about this kid named Jason. I don't know his last name, but man, if I was going to have another son, I would consider naming him Jason. Such a great biblical name. All we know about Jason is that he was a leader in a church that changed a town. That's all we know about him. That's a, that's a pretty good deal to have written on the back of your tombstone. This kid was a leader in a church that changed the world. Think about having that as your epitaph on, on your tombstone one day. And here Jason and his friends are dragged out. You know the thing that's crazy about Jason and his friends? They'd all probably been a Christian less than a month. Less than a month. And here they were, man, flipping the world out for what Jesus had done in them. You know, we have some brand new Christians in our church who are probably thinking, you know, one day, you know, after I've been a Christian for years, maybe God will use me. You know what? God probably wants to use those of you who are brand new in your faith even more than he wants to use some of us who are old and crusted over and set in our ways. New, church, new, new churches and new Christians can have huge impact. You want to know who it is that usually brings their entire family to church? New Christians. You want to know who it is who sees their spouse and their kids radically change? Usually new Christians. You want to know the person who witnesses to everyone, and uh, be honest, in the ways of some of us sometimes? It's usually new Christians, right? We hear people flipping out about Jesus, and we think they must have just got saved because they're, you know, they're still kind of on that high. New Christians, new churches, those of us that aren't bored with our faith, have an opportunity to change the world. Now, our church is three months old. And I started looking at you. We're, we're a very young church. We're still at a stage where most would be wondering if, if we're going to make it or not. And a lot of times I'll sit awake on, uh, on Saturday night and ask Danielle, do you think anyone's going to come tomorrow? And do you think this is going to work? And do you think our church is going to make it? Because you know, I'm like a parent worried about a, a child. But our church is three months old. And I began to look at our church. What did our church do in 2011? And 1 Corinthians says, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. So this isn't what I've done. This isn't what you've done. This is what God has done in Journey Church International. Last year in 2011, and we only had church for three months, nearly 40 people became Christians last year at our church. Fifteen people were baptized last year at our church. More than 200 Bibles have been given away to people at our church who who don't have one or don't know where theirs was. Uh, Dozens of people have recommitted their lives to Jesus after a time of spiritual wondering at at our church and said, "I, I need to come back to my faith. Uh, we've given away over $10,000 as a church to local charities right here in Lee Summit, Kansas City to feed hungry children and help families in need. Our church has given away over $10,000 in the last three months to global missions in Romania, in Africa, in India, uh, in the Philippines. Um, our, our, uh, more than 75 people in our church have gone out into the community 
and served in downtown Kansas City or Joplin or just locally here in Lee Summit. And more than 120 adults have volunteered in ministry and began serving at our church and getting involved doing ministry. All that happened in three months. And if our church did that in three months, what could it do in a year? If our church did that in three months, what could our church do in three years? If our church did that in in three months, what could our church do in a decade if we would have the spirit that it doesn't matter that we're young, we're just going to keep reaching people for Jesus and doing good ministry? You know, I'm so proud of what our church has done the last three months, especially globally. But we sat around in a staff meeting, and, and the most asked question I get is, why is your church, why, why is the name international in your church title? And I tell people, we believe that God has called us to be a church that does ministry around the globe. And I've said from day one, we want to have ministry partners on every continent, and we want to plant a church in Israel as a church. So we sat around in a staff meeting the other day, and I said, okay, we did ministry last year. Yes, we're only three months old, but we only did ministry on four continents, and we didn't do ministry on Israel. We hit Europe and Asia and Africa and North America. So who do we know in South America that we can help? We've got to do ministry in South America. Who, who do we know as a church in Australia? Uh, and has God called any of us to go hang out in Australia and minister for a week? I mean, I, I will sign up for that assignment. You know, who do we know in Australia? Who do we know in Israel? You know, Genesis 12 says, if you bless Israel, God blesses you. Who can we minister to in Israel? How can we find out how to plant a church in Israel? Who do we know in Antarctica? Are there any people in Antarctica? Do any penguins need food in Antarctica? I mean, how do we minister in Antarctica? How does our church be a church in 2012? That when our people give in the offering, it literally springs all over the world and, and, and finds a home in Israel so, so we can say, God, we're given to every place we know how to give. We're just a young church, but according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, according to Acts 17, 6, young churches can have huge impact. Three weeks, three weeks in Acts 17, 6 tells us that our church can accomplish dreams much bigger than we've ever dreamed. Three weeks in Acts 17, 6 tells us that those of you who are new Christians, you're some of the prime candidates for God to use the most. If you'll just step up and say, God, how can you use me this year? Three weeks says we can change the world. If we'll commit to do it together. Number two, second part of the triple crown. Acts 17, 6 says that the Thessalonian church was planted in three weeks. But number two, we see that three people were involved in the founding of this church and in the ministry to this church, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we start out in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, and, and we read three names. You probably read them. I don't know if you memorized them, but three pretty good Bible names of guys who have good spiritual stories. And here's how the book starts. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and, to the Lord, and, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that, that this church has three spiritual leaders and that these three spiritual leaders are, are doing it together. Now, the author of the book of First Thessalonians is a guy by the name of Paul. And if you've not studied the Bible very much or if you're brand new to church, uh, the Apostle Paul is like right next to Jesus and people who are extremely important in the Bible. Jesus founded the church. Uh, he, you know, his main kind of sidekick disciple was a guy named Peter. But in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 10 through the rest of the New Testament, it's really a guy named Paul who founded dozens of churches, probably hundreds that we didn't even know about, and wrote most of the New Testament to help us understand what Christianity is. Here's the interesting thing about the Apostle Paul. Every moment that we see the Apostle Paul, from when he became a Christian with Ananias by his side, to when he would later die in a Roman jail cell, he was never alone. Paul never served Jesus by himself. 
Paul never tried to live in his Christianity by himself. We're told that for three years he went to the Arabian desert. We think he spent time in solitude and study. But when he came to live life and do ministry, he was always with someone else. Paul always did ministry, always lived life with good Christian friends. Here he lists three. Hey, me and my two buddies, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the three amigos, are writing you a letter to see how you're doing. In Romans chapter 16, another book of the New Testament that Paul wrote, he listed 36 friends by name that wanted to say hello to the Roman church. 36 Christian friends that he lived life with that wanted to say hello to the people that he was writing a letter to. Let me ask you a question. As we start off 2012, how many good Christian friends do you have in your life on January 8, 2012? Do you have one great Christian friend that you can tell anything, that you pray with, that you hold accountable, that holds you accountable? Do you have two? Do you have three? See, we see that just three people here form such a strong spiritual bond that these three people started a church and together this church, according to the Bible, changed the world, turned the world upside down. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. We had for the first time, the first time that I really saw what it takes to make our church happen was at our volunteer Christmas party. We have about 120 people that volunteer at our church. We invited all of them downtown. We rented out kind of a, a really cool photo studio uh, in the Crossroads District of downtown Kansas City. We catered in uh, food from PB&J restaurants, which, you know, is, is yayas and yahoos and all really good food. And we spent a lot of money saying thank you to our volunteers because we knew we can't, we know we can't do church without our volunteers. And the place had an upstairs and a downstairs. And that night, about 75 people showed up. So we had about 40 who couldn't make it for, for one reason or another. And when, when they all came downstairs to pray, we had a time where, where we brought everyone into one room so that we could bless the meal, we wouldn't even all fit in the same room. They were actually going up the steps. And I looked around, and for the first time I thought, this is what it takes to make our church happen. Our church is not a preacher and a microphone. Our church is is not a pastor and his wife. Our church is hundreds of people doing ministry together. Church is more like a football team than a golf team. Right, a, a preacher is not a golfer who needs a caddy to hand him a microphone so that he can go get it. No, a, 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 a church is a football team that has 22 starting positions, a depth chart of 44, you know, kickers that no one even really understands what they do, but they're really important when you have to kick a field goal to, you know, to end the game. You know, church is like a football team. There, there are so many people doing so many things, not even everyone knows what they do, but with, without them all, you can't do anything. And, and at our church, God has given us an unbelievable team of people. Not just three people, but 30 people, and then 130 people. And some of you need to get engaged in volunteering at our church because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be how you meet people and how you really get involved here. And you're going to enjoy church ten times more when you're volunteering. But look what Solomon says about having Christian friends. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, Solomon, who the Bible says was the wisest man who ever lived, says two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is, is in real trouble. Hey, we know that from the, the little life alert button commercials, right? When I'm falling and I can't get up. I mean, you fall when you're by yourself. They'll make a commercial about you and create a device to make sure that you don't do that. That's biblical. Verse 11, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. 
but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Do you have three great Christian friends in your life that are pushing you forward spiritually? I mean, Noah was told to build, a, to build an ark, but who was he given to build the ark with? Three sons. Moses was told to go lead the people out of Israel, but who was Moses given to kind of be his right-hand sidekicks? Three people, if you read carefully, his brother, his sister, and Joshua. He was given three people to help him. Jesus had 12 disciples, but three of them that were his very best friends that went everywhere that he went. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, I won't read it, but Judges is an interesting book because it follows, if, if you read the Old Testament this year, and I hope that you will, You'll read the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery and and into the promised land, which becomes Israel. And then when when they finally get to the promised land, Joshua takes over from Moses when Moses dies. And they have this unbelievable spiritual revival and they all live for God and everything is good. But then in Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and I'll paraphrase, it says, When Joshua died and all the spiritual people died, no one in Israel loved God anymore. You know what the paraphrase of that is? When you hang around spiritual people all the time, you'll do good spiritually. If you don't have any Christian friends, it's going to be really, really hard. And most people don't have any, not only Christian friends, Christian acquaintances. First Thessalonians tells me that we need Christian friends. So I look at the word reinforcements, and I think spiritually everybody needs a small group of Christians to thrive spiritually. It's why our church does small groups. Our church, and because we're so brand new, we've, we've hardly begun to do this, but we have three semesters every year of small group Bible studies. We go February to Easter, then we have a summer semester, and then we go Labor Day through Thanksgiving. And we meet in homes all over the community. There there will be one near your home, I promise you. We have them in Kansas and Missouri. We have them downtown. We we have them everywhere. In the week of February 5, we start these small group Bible studies, men's ministry, women's ministry, couples ministries. All our staff are going to be involved in one and teaching one. And and I want to challenge you. You don't have to. We don't force you to do anything. But I want to challenge you, if you really want to thrive spiritually this year, and I didn't say to be spiritual, and I didn't say to live spiritual, but I said to really thrive spiritually, you should have a small group of Christian friends. And you know what? You won't like everyone in your small group. A couple of them you probably won't be able to stand. You'll think, man, I hope that guy didn't show up this week that talks all the time, and that woman who makes the weird fruitcake, you know, I hope she's not there. I mean, that will happen in, in life. And, you know, if you're just in life with a big enough group of people, it's going to be people you don't mesh with totally. But you're going to find one or two people that you get really close to. And you'll go from hanging out on a small group with them to eating lunch with them after church on Sunday to hanging out on a Friday night to getting together on New Year's Eve. And all of a sudden you'll you'll have these Christian friends and you'll find yourself doing a lot better spiritually than you've ever done before. So 1 Thessalonians tells us three weeks. It tells us three people. But then Paul makes, interesting here, three observations. In 1 Thessalonians verse 3, He said, there's three things that I see you doing, and I just want to say, good job. And as we get into this text, I I want to turn, you know, we've talked a lot about church and church stuff, but I I want to focus personally now. This This is all about you. I'm asking you personally these questions about yourself, not our church, not your husband, not your family, but you. Paul said, I make three observations, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. He said, we continually remember before our God and Father. So these are things that we saw you do, and we remember them. Your, um, your work, circle that word work if you've got your Bible open. We remember your work that's produced by your faith. We remember your labor, circle that word labor, that's prompted by your love. And we remember your endurance, circle that word endurance, that's inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul said, hey, I remember when. I remember when. You know, the new year is a great time to look forward and to set new spiritual goals, but it's also a good time to look backwards and reflect and remember. And Paul said, I remember observation number one. Paul said, I remember, I remember your work. And that tells us spiritually that God sees what we have done in our life spiritually. God knows what you did last year in 2011. And you may think no one saw it, no one cared, no one noticed. There's no reward. But God says, I see your life and I see the things you did spiritually this year. Well, that makes us ask the question of ourselves, well, what did we accomplish spiritually last year? Some of us have a very short list. Maybe it was nothing. Some of us might have a small list. Some of us might have a long list. But my hope is that everyone in here can look at 2011 and say, spiritually, this happened. And it was only one thing, but it was a good thing. You know, some of you last year became Christians in 2011. That's like the greatest spiritual thing that can ever happen in your life. That, that's a banner year for you, a spiritual rebirth in your life. Some of you recommitted your life spiritually, like most of 2011 was really bad, and then you connected in November or December and said, I'm going to start living for God again. That, that's a good decision. Some of you reconnected to a church after being out of a church. And we have a lot of families that come to our church that have been wondering and said, you know, we, we like it here, and we're going to start coming to church again. Um, some connected to a church for the first time. You've never been in church in your life, and you connected. That's a good spiritual accomplishment. Some of you started serving. Uh, in a church, which is a great accomplishment. Some of you started serving in the community, which is a huge compliment to help people understand who Jesus is and how he loves. Some of you started giving. For the first time in your life, you wrote a check to a church, and you said, God, I, I don't trust the church with this, but I trust you with it. Go do great ministry. God sees that. Some of you invited someone to church, and that's the first time in your life you've ever invited someone to church. And you look back on those things, and you say, you know what? Those things I, I did last year and I did well. God sees your work. Whatever you accomplished last year spiritually, God sees it. Now, the way we're trained to think is that God sees all our failures. And if, and if we had to list our spiritual failures in 2011, there's no whiteboard or sheet of paper big enough for, us, for those of us in here to list how we failed spiritually last year. But Paul says we see your work. I, I don't want to focus on your failures. I see the things you did good. Good job. Observation number two, Paul also said, I remember your labor. Not just what you did, but God sees what you're doing. I see what you're doing to continue to live for God. So I would ask the question, what are your spiritual goals this year? Have you set spiritual goals this year for yourself? You know, I can't give you any to set because I think those are things that you need to do on your own. But I'll tell you what, what mine are. My spiritual goals this year, and I set these last fall and talked to my staff about doing the same thing. You know, I, I want to read my Bible through this year. I try to do that every year. I try to read all 66 books through. As you look at our reading plans online, you'll see that only one of them is a read-through-the-Bible plan where, like, if you miss a day, you're going to get behind. The rest of them are just listed in an order that you can follow. And I tell you, if you read four chapters a day, you'll get through in a year. If you read two a day, you'll get through in two years. If you read one a day, you'll get through in four years. But at least start and work your way through the Bible. You'll really learn a lot about yourself and a lot about God. If you'll do that. But I'm going to try to read through my Bible this year. I've set a goal this year to pray more because I don't feel like that uh, my life is characterized as, as a life of prayer. And I told our church that last fall that God had really been laying that on my heart. As a Christian this year, I've committed this year to understand church history a little bit more. I'm going to study the first and second great awakenings because I want to see what happened when, when like God shook the world spiritually. I want to know how that happened. I want to know if, if we're able to replicate that because I, I don't just want to 
touch the people who come and sit in these chairs. I, I want us to really touch all of Lee Summit in Cass County and in Kansas City and, and really have an impact on the world. So I want to find out how people did that previously. Uh, Danielle and I have taught we want to increase our giving this year. As a pastor, I want to increase, increase our church's giving. You know, our church last year gave away roughly $23,000 to local and global ministries, uh, and I'd like to see us at least double that this year. I mean, that's really my goal. I'm praying that at the end of next year we can say we gave away $50,000 as a church. And, you know, for those of you who have come from big church, I mean, that sounds like nothing. That's a good goal for a little church like, like ours. Um, I want to get on the mission field. God's been speaking to me for three years to get in an airplane and go serve on the mission field. I've not been in a place to do that. So this year I've set that as a goal. No matter what I have to sacrifice, I need to go serve people overseas. Um, One of my big prayer requests for myself is that I'll worry less. I'm a huge worrier. Uh, You know, I I told our group back in March when we first began to have Bible studies, um, if you locked me and another pessimistic person in a room for an hour, uh, after an hour, we, we probably would have both killed ourselves because I, I worry so much and I, I'm able to get so pessimistic and so down and I'm always able to see worst case scenario. It's a horrible trait of mine. And I've asked God, God, help me to worry a lot less because I always worry about stuff that I can't even control, but it consumes me. Uh, listen, I'll be watching a great college football game and miss an entire quarter worrying about something. And that's really bad. God didn't want anyone to miss a quarter of college football worrying about anything. So when that happened, I thought, you know, I know the Lord wants me to, to work on that for the sake of, of just my enjoyment of football. Um, and then I pray every I pray that I'll sin less. Because, you know, I, I do too many things that I know that God doesn't approve of. That, if, you know, if you all knew me like God knew me, you would think, man, you're not very spiritual. So I want to stop doing those little things. That, that I know I shouldn't be doing. So I, God sees what we're doing. What are you going to do this year? Number, observation number three, Paul says that, uh, that God sees your endurance. Man, here's a really interesting thought. God sees what we can do if we'll stay faithful. God sees our spiritual potential if we will do everything that he has called us to do. And you think about what just normal people have done just by being faithful. Noah built an ark. Moses parted the Red Sea. These are normal people just like us. Joshua knocked down the walls of a city. Gideon won a war with an army of less than 500. David killed a giant. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived in a fiery furnace. Daniel survived a night in a lion's den and on and on and on. Now some of you don't even know what I'm talking about here, but some of you have been in church your whole life and you know all those stories. This summer we're doing a a sermon series called Bedtime Stories. The greatest stories of the Bible retold. And I'm going to bring to our church the, great, the ten greatest stories in the Bible and maybe deeper truth than you've ever heard on those. And remember what God can do through a man or a woman if they will be faithful. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 10, and for, the, for our PowerPoint folks, I'm not, I'm not going to read it uh, just so we can save time. But to paraphrase of it, the, the paraphrase is this. Paul literally said, you have become an example to the whole world. Everyone in the world is talking about your church. And here's the reality. The reality is this. The world notices a church that's filled with people who have been changed by Jesus, who are living for Jesus. The world sees it. The world notices it. The world talks about it. Maybe the world doesn't, maybe they don't all like it. Maybe they don't all want to go there. But they look at it and say, man, that, that church is doing good things. And that's kind of what Jesus said. Jesus in John 8, 12 said, I'm the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, he said, you're the light of the world. And he said, when you're living for me the way you're supposed to live for me, people will see you. You'll stand out. 
You know, we, we've got a, uh, one of our guys here today has a Tim Tebow jersey on in the back row. Um, and Tim Tebow stands out, does he not? Now, let me ask you, there, I, according to surveys, there are 80 million Christians in America. Why does Tim Tebow stand out so much? I think Pastor Ryan tweeted that several weeks ago. Because he lives differently than most of us do. It's a shame, but it's true. And if we would live to our full potential spiritually, people would take notice. Maybe bad notice, maybe good notice, but they would take notice. You know, I noticed driving through my neighborhood two nights ago that it's gotten really dark and it's gotten really ugly because all the Christmas lights are down. I don't know if you've noticed that as you've driven through your neighborhood. I live on a street over here in the Eagle Creek subdivision uh, that uh, literally they must have a competition because these houses along my street decorate so much that I feel like a Grinch. And I've already talked to Danielle, so I'm going to have to do more next year because, um, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed by how well these houses are decorated. But I drove home the other night and all the lights were off. And I thought, well, that stinks. I just live on a boring, old, dark street again because the lights went out. You know, there's a lot of churches in our city where the lights are out. People just drive by them and they don't even stop and look and notice or talk about them anymore because they don't stand out. And you know, when, when, when the light shines bright enough, people will do about anything to get close to it. Have, have y'all heard of this Longview Lights Festival place deal? You know, I heard about that for the first time this year and Daniel said, let's go look at the lights. Let's go look at the lights. So I said, all right, let's go look at the lights. We sat for an hour in traffic to look at lights. And I got madder and madder and madder and madder. And I said, you know, these lights better be the best darn lights I've ever seen. Or I'm just going to run through them all. I mean, I'm going to drive through the car. You can bail me out of jail, but this experience, it will have been worth it. I mean, it was a miserable wait. We fought the whole time. I didn't want to come. I did want to come. The kids were in the back. They were driving us crazy. I started trying to play Angry Birds on my phone while I was driving. I almost hit the guy in front of me because he stopped too fast. I mean, it was a horrible experience until we got to the lights. Have any of you seen the lights? They were unbelievable. Unbelievable. And as soon as I saw the lights and, and I drove through and I waited an hour to see them for 10 minutes. But on the way out, I told Danielle, we got to bring my mom and dad back here next year and wait through the miserable wait to see the light. That's what happened in the Thessalonian church. The lights came on. And everyone lined up to see what was going on. Let me ask you a question. Has the light come on in your life yet? Put our church aside. You personally. Has the light come on where people are able to see that Jesus is in your life? See that you're different? Maybe you're brand new to, to church type stuff and you've never become a Christian. You can do that today. Maybe you are a Christian who, like Jesus said, maybe you've had a shade over your light and no one can tell. And maybe this is the year to take off the shade and, and light up. Not, not in that way. You know, those of you who used to may have light up the wrong way when you were in college with uh, an illegal substance. But light up spiritually so that others can see that uh, that's horrible. I mean, but that's what I, that's what I thought of. Um, but light up in a way that the world sees we're different and, and maybe they'll come and check out what we're doing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we're thankful that we're thankful that young churches can have a big impact and that you've allowed our church to have the impact that it's had the last three months. We're thankful 
that, uh, Lord, you remind us through our text today that reinforcements are needed. And, Lord, I pray that in this year you'll put people in our lives spiritually that will help us thrive spiritually. And I thank you for the observations that Paul made. I thank you that our work for you doesn't go unseen, but you remember it. I thank you that what we're doing now and the goals that we set, you'll see those and you'll help us with those. And, God, I, uh, Lord, I thank you that our endurance, it really means world change for someone else. Let our church be an example because of the people in it of what happens when somebody really commits their life to Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this auditorium, please, nobody moving around or looking around. If you're in here today, and maybe the light has never come on spiritually, you've never become a Christian. You don't even know what that means. But today you feel yourself drawn to God. And you say, I want what others have. I want to be forgiven. I want to be changed. I want to make a difference. Today you can become a Christian. You say, how do I do that? Where do I sign up? You don't have to. You just have to say a simple prayer according to the Bible. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you're in this room and today you want to become a Christian, maybe you've been in our church for months waiting and watching. Maybe this is your first time. But today you know you want to become a Christian. Light up this year for Jesus. Pray this prayer in your seat. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. God hears it. Today your life can be changed, saved. Pray this prayer, God. Today I want to become a Christian. I pray that you'll forgive me of the things in my life that I have done that have fallen short of who you want me to be. Forgive me for those. Help me not to do those anymore. And God, today I ask you to make my life brand new. Give me a new direction, a new purpose. Help me to live for you. Help me to be a light for you that the world can see. Today, I commit my life to Jesus. And I thank you for saving me. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, please, nobody looking around, but if you just prayed that prayer today and today became a Christian, would you just slip your hand up as, just so that I can know, Christian, I prayed with you today and just want you to know, today I became a Christian. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I won't ask anyone to raise your hand or, or make a decision here other than in your seats, but if you're a Christian, who's had the shade down spiritually so that no one else can see your light. The people in your life, the people in your work, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood don't even know that you're a Christian. My goal for you this year is that you let the shade up, you let the light out, so that people everywhere you go can see your light and they can invite others to come back and see it because of how it impacts them. If you're here today and that's you, pray this prayer in your seat. You don't need to pray it out loud, but just pray it in your seat. God, Forgive me for not shining brightly for you. Help me in this new year to live like a Christian, to help others know that I'm a Christian, and to lead people to Jesus by the way that I live. Let 2012 be a year that I change the world by the way that I live for you. Now, God, we love you as a church, as a people. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for what you've done. And Father, I just pray as we get ready to end this service in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would just help our church this year, whatever we accomplished last year, let it be small in comparison to what you allow us to do this year. Thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Together, I'm going to.